0: Welcome to Faithful Echoes, the sermon podcast from St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Cleveland, Tennessee. New episodes are available every Monday featuring the Collect of the Day, Scripture readings, and Father Joel Hofstetler's insightful sermon from the previous Sunday. Perfect for catching up on missed sermons or revisiting favorites, find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and and our website at www.StLukesCleveland.org podcast. Subscribe now for spiritual reflections that fit seamlessly into your week. A reading from Mark. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The one, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. amen. Thank you all for being here. Welcome. And if you're with us online, either live or later, thank you also very much. We're now in the second week of Advent. The Episcopal Church is known for its liturgy. And a part of our liturgy is the observance of the liturgical calendar. And a part of the observance of the liturgical calendar is observance of the liturgical seasons. And so all of the symbols are out for Advent the blue, the lights, the candles remind us that we've transitioned into a new and fresh season of Advent. Occasionally it's important important for Episcopalians to be reminded there are no hard and fast rules about color, what color we should use and when. But these are traditions and the traditions have evolved for a reason. The changing of the color marks the changing of the seasons of the church year. Like most Christians throughout the world, the Episcopal Church follows a three-year lectionary cycle of readings, and so as this new Advent season is upon us, we once again encounter John the Baptist. One of the great preachers of our time, Fleming Rutledge, has said about John the Baptist that he is, quote, the sentinel, the premier personage of Advent. That's certainly true about early Advent. As Advent progresses, we'll think more about Mary. But early in Advent, it's John the Baptist that comes most readily to our mind. He was a strange figure then, let alone now. A strong ascetic, practicing an asceticism that we don't see much in our culture, there are ascetic Christians, to be sure, but it's very countercultural for us to think about someone like John the Baptist. I've often thought if a John the Baptist appeared out of nowhere in an Episcopal liturgy, we would be quite disturbed, wouldn't we? If John the Baptist, as he's portrayed in the Gospels, just showed up one Sunday morning, we'd be quite taken aback, wouldn't we? Well, people were then too, Rutledge says again of John the Baptist, this unlovable figure, talking about his asceticism, his strangeness, if you will, this unlovable figure is very much out of sync with our times, yet he is the foremost figure of Advent. For most of us, when we think Advent, at least a part of our thinking goes to John the Baptist. Anybody who's been in the church for any length of time knows that we regard John the Baptist as the forerunner of Jesus, the messenger, not the message itself. John is the forerunner, prepares the way. For the earthly ministry of Jesus. So, again, in this Advent, the lectionary reacquaints us with John the Baptist. It's important to think of John in his historical context. There had been a dearth of prophecy in Israel for several centuries between the writing of the books of what we call the Old Testament. And the arrival of Jesus, several hundred years elapsed between the Old Testament era and the New Testament era. We call that the intertestamental period or the intertestamental era. And in this time, there was a dearth of prophecy, the kind of prophecy that had been known in the Old Testament era. A British scholar of the Bible named Dennis Nynum writes about this dearth of prophecy in Israel. The Jews felt themselves to be in rather a trough. Only a Brit could say that, right? The Jews felt themselves in rather a trough, which is another way of saying there was a gap in prophecy in the Hebrew tradition. But no more with the coming of John the Baptist. Prophecy is revived in this strange figure who was drawing crowds out to the wilderness. Mark just launches right in, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, the very beginning of Mark's gospel. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I am sending my messenger Ahead of you who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Mark himself mentions Isaiah, but this quotation also includes bits of Exodus and Malachi. So the Hebrew tradition is well represented in this very early quotation in the Gospel of Mark. One of the things the Gospel of Mark is known for is the fact that there is no birth narrative in Mark. We get our Christmas stories from Matthew and Luke. Mark just launches right in to the earthly ministry of Jesus. And it's very clear that it was John the Baptist who prepared the way. Fleming Rutledge says further about John the appearance of John on the world stage, means that the turn of the ages has come. John the Baptist and his prophetic ministry inaugurates, ushers in, the Messianic era. And from a Judeo-Christian point of view, this kind of prophetic urgency is the turning point of history. Mark tells us further in verses 4 through 5, John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized in the river Jordan confessing their sins. For many of us, this is a familiar passage. The words will come to us. But it's describing something absolutely remarkable. Again, the dearth of prophecy is over. Crowds of people were leaving Jerusalem and Judea, going out into the countryside to hear this prophet. A voice like John's hadn't been heard for generations. And so the imagery may be familiar to most of us, but what's being described is described absolutely extraordinary. What we're seeing pictured here is the rebirth of prophecy. And on this note, N.T. Wright observes, Some thought John was mad, that it was him who was dreaming. But here he was, splashing cold water over them, and telling them to get ready for the greatest moment in Jewish history, in world history. Some would have saw John the Baptist and thought, he's crazy. And yet, crowds of people went out and were baptized. The lights are out, the candles, the colors. This special series of services... It's all to remember the greatest gift the world has ever known. It was John the Baptist's ministry, it was his prophetic calling to announce to the world the Savior we've been waiting for is here. Fred Craddock says about these crowds, they were baptized for the forgiveness of sins the beginning of a new life. Just want us to linger over that phrasing for a moment. People went out into the wilderness for an experience, to be baptized, and to begin a new life. I just want to say to us here in this quiet moment of reflection, Christianity constantly offers to us The beginning of a new life. We can turn the page and start anew in Christ at any moment, including this one, the perpetual offering of the church. Draw near to love and grace, be reconciled to God. And begin again. So the rebirth of prophecy marked a new era. Mark says of John, he proclaimed, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Just imagine the popularity of John. Multitudes of people coming out to the wilderness to hear him preach, to be baptized by him. But he has the humility to remind people, I am the messenger. The Messiah himself is coming after me. And he will show you even more of the Spirit of God. It's an extraordinary humility that John the Baptist offers. Richard Rohr, perhaps the most popular Christian writer in the world right now. Richard Rohr writes about John. John the Baptist is the strangest combination of conviction and humility. Just love that phrasing. John is the strangest combination of conviction and humility. It's often said of human beings that we are all a bundle of contradictions. And when we're honest about ourselves, we are. One moment we're confident, the other moment we're doubtful. One moment we're on top of the world... The next moment we may be in the depth of despair. We're all bundles of contradictions. John the Baptist clearly had a strong sense of self. He clearly had a healthy self-confidence. And at the same time, that healthy sense of self was balanced by a healthy sense of humility he's an extraordinary example to us 2,000 years later yes we are created in the image of God yes we are beloved as we are yes we are forgiven and redeemed and yet in all of that we're to maintain our sense of humility and gratitude. It's God's mercy and grace that reconciles us to God. So, as important as John was and is, in time his ministry gave way to Jesus. In time, Advent will give way to Christmas. The days are coming when silent night, as much as we love it, will give way to joy to the world. So I close with this. In thinking about John the Baptist, preparing this meditation, I thought about one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture and I'm not, I know that I'm not alone in this estimation. For many people, one of our most meaningful verses of Scripture comes from the prophet Micah, chapter 6, verse 8. He has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. John the Baptist brings to mind this other prophetic wisdom from generations before him. What is it that the life of faith is most about? How do we stay centered in our relationship with God and each other? Micah shows us the way. He has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. In thinking about John the Baptist and humility, Richard Rohr observes of John's humility, such emptiness doesn't just fall into our laps. Such humility does not just happen. It is surely the end product of a thousand letting goes and a thousand acts of devotion. Amen.